Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Stuart Childs outlines steps to make quality silage. So I suppose the, there's a couple of elements, I suppose there's been a bit of concern maybe that fodder shortages, obviously we have silage schemes, etc. Um, being promoted by the department and we have the the grain um, setting of the grain uh, scheme there as well. And there's a bit of concern around whether people are going to have enough fodder for the winter or not. And we will be continuing to do fodder surveys throughout the course of the year to ensure that people, well, that we have a handle on where people are at so that we can be ahead of any potential uh, issues. Now, thankfully, um, the conditions have turned in our favor quite considerably in the last number of, in the last two to three weeks, maybe. Crops have filled out quite a lot. And uh, as a result, we probably aren't looking too bad in terms of the amount of silage that is potentially going to be made for first cut anyway. Uh, and extra ground coming in that wasn't actually stopped may, uh, being an option for people as well. So the, we would hope that we won't have an issue with silage qual, uh, quantity. So quality of that silage is an important piece, and that's the piece I'm going to focus on today. So I'll just share the slides here for now. So um, in terms of steps to making quality silage, I suppose for starting point for people will be to decide what they, what type of silage they need. And this is a, a small little bugbear, I suppose, of mine in terms of the concept that we don't need uh, quality silage because we're spring calving for the mo most part. Uh, and that probably goes back to the old quota scenario of where um, cows were maybe we weren't really pushing cows I suppose in the springtime because we were afraid of milk quarters up to the first of April uh, and at the end of the year we were trying to maybe just get cows to tick along rather than producing significant quantities of milk um, which were going to be causing quarter problems for people that had milk quarter issues however that's changed quite significantly in the, since quarter has been abolished and uh, vast majority of people are milking on uh, a nice bit into into December, we'll say, and want and want to be able to push on cows or keep cows going on a fairly uh, good tilt in terms of milk production, and that means we probably need an awful lot more quality silage than we would have had in the past. So I would suggest that people should be aiming to try and generate quality silage over quantities of silage. Uh, but there's a tipping point in that, obviously. So to uh, a load of uh, a small amount of quality silage isn't if if it isn't enough to feed what you need isn't going to be the right scenario to be in either, but a big, big load of quantity in terms of lots of lots of silage, but very poor quality isn't a very good position to be in either because uh, there's supplementary feeding that's going to be extremely expensive for the coming winter required to go with that. And I have one or two pieces that will cover that in a second. So what type of silage do we need? So you can see there, uh, the different classes of stock that we're talking about and the ranges of the silage that are required. So in, I suppose for the, the suckler people, they, if they're in good condition, uh, relatively good condition, which they will tend to be, they don't need very high quality silage. They need very much a maintenance requirement to keep cows ticking over for, for the winter. But after that, really, uh, if you say, and I think, again, this has probably changed slightly from the point of view that we are now more inclined to have those eight, nine week dry periods rather than maybe uh, longer dry periods that would have been associated with pre-quota era, then our actual um, requirement for dry cow silage for dairy cows is actually higher than that 68, I would feel. So um, that 68 there for a dry dairy cow in good body condition, 
yeah, it'll do the trick, but I would think that the, I would rather be aiming to have 70, 72 VMD silage on the farm and be maybe holding back or feeding a little bit of straw maybe to dilute that quality down rather than trying to push it on to feed up if we're in, in a scenario where our cows are in, in need of extra condition. So, uh, so that 70 DMD target should be kind of the, the very minimum, I would say, we should be trying to achieve that. Uh, unfortunately, I suppose farming being the way it is and weather dependent, sometimes that 70, if we're trying to achieve that as our minimum, will end up being this anyway. So we should really be pushing that bar high in terms of trying to achieve quality silage. And if we get it, if the if the, it's in the lap of the gods, then at that stage, and if we are unfortunate enough that we get delayed by a week or whatever, then the quality of it isn't going to deteriorate significantly that we end up with this kind of quality silage. And we're trying to feed this to maybe spring calving cows uh, in the springtime or maybe even just over the winter period, it's not really going to do a whole lot in terms of body condition. So the young stock, obviously, as well, it's an important piece here from the point of view of the quality silage that they need. Um, I've seen several farms where they've been weighing stock through the winter, uh, feeding the quality of the silage influences very much the level of feeding that has to go into those stock during the winter and can vary from winter to winter, obviously, depending on the quality of the silage. So again, targeting to have high quality silage there can actually help to reduce the quantity of feed that has to be fed because um, good quality silage stock tend to eat more of it. And this poor quality silage down here, there is actually not as good an intake capacity because there's a high level of fiber in it and the fiber level compromises the, the intake um, of the animal. If we're in the fresh autumn calving scenario, we need exceptionally high quality silage. Uh, and again, we should be trying to target to have some of that kind of quality material on the farm. Uh, it may not necessarily be a full pit of it. Larger herds may have a pit of that silage. They kind of, our average uh, 100 cow herd uh, needs to put bales aside for to cover that. And I would say that there's a part of the silage strategy is planning that area. The surplus that comes off the platform uh, as, as strong grass, et cetera, isn't probably the most suitable material it'll it'll do uh, but i think if you really are focused on trying to put your two or three bales together in order to cater for uh, milking cows late in the season or early in the following uh, springtime you should be trying to actually target to cut uh, specific ground to generate that silage as opposed to trying to depend on surplus which after all is ground that you've decided that you're not going to graze because it's not um suitable for grazing, leaving it on to, to, to cut for silage means that it's okay quality, but it's not, it's not going to be up here in this level, I would think so. Again, just emphasizing the, the benefits of the quality over the quantity, this table sums it up very quickly. So we can see that if we have 79 DMD silage, which would be very high quality silage uh, and no feeding going in, we can do 24 liters or 24 kg, uh, sorry, 24 liters of cow. Um, and then if we were to take our somewhere in the middle here, uh, if we have very good quality silage um, and we kind of feeding our, depending on whether we've grass in the diet or not, or if we've, if we're full-time silage, people probably tend to be on five to six kilos plus silage. You'd see that that would be somewhere in around 28 liters from uh, grass plus silage, uh, our silage uh, and meal in, on that kind of quality silage. As we drop down into this lower quality silage that we tend to see, probably you can see that for, for very little difference in terms of the, the maybe just getting the coating date slightly better, uh, we can actually have two litres of cow of an influence over milk yield by just having better quality. And again, just 
I suppose if you put it in the context of 79 DMD here at 29.1 liters on four kilos versus having to feed 12 kilos with 69 DMD silage to uh, get the um, a little bit weighted, you can see that there's a big cost associated with having poor quality or uh, silage on the, um, the, the farm as a result. So moving on. Now, so the big thing that's going to impact on quality is when you decide to cut. And as I said, weather is going to dictate it a lot, but uh, looking at like there's a lot of ground, probably zero grazed or maybe grazed if it was available to be walked to uh, again in March because of the slow start to the year. And that would mean that we should be after pushing this phase slightly later, uh, which is where we're targeting. So we're just getting to that point now where grass is beginning to hedge. If you're walking ground, you'll see that some ground is beginning to start to show a little bit of a head. And that's that's the point that we need to be aiming for in terms of trying to get the, get our silage cut. So just as we're beginning to start to see the heading date uh, or heading starting to occur, that's when we're striking to, to get our cut done. So you can see that there's four, four leaves there. There's a fifth leaf beginning to emerge. Uh, we don't have actual seed head maybe developing or fully developed at that stage. You can see that the seed head is beginning to come out here in this stage. And if we can get it caught at this stage, we're going to have relatively good quality silage available to us once we do the next steps correctly. As we go into this, uh, and you can see this, we'll say as you move into June, you'll see kind of crops of silage that will have these quite significant amount of seed head on it, uh, moving into the poorer quality. And then the kind of the crop that stays very white for a long time after cutting because a lot of dead material at the bottom of it, then obviously you, you can see that you have a very significant uh, um, reduction in terms of quality. So the important, I suppose, again, if we're talking about trying to cut these quality bales that we need to support milk production late in the season and early in the in the following season, we're talking about going in at the just just at the three to four leaf stage, nice clean base really, which is why I'm saying about the surplus coming off of paddocks maybe not being 100% ideal. Um, so you're targeting your your kind of very early young growth. You're talking about maybe four, five, six bales to the acre type scenario, uh, high quality. And as I said, you're talking about maybe two to three bales, depending on, on your location. If you're on heavier soils, probably you could even be looking at three to four bales, um, but definitely two to three bales required for most dairy farms in order to support milk production. And the other advantage of those bales at the, for, for those shoulder periods, I suppose the spring may be less so, but obviously as we move into the autumn period, there and we're trying to buffer uh, to increase that we to ensure that we can get grass right and so forth and if we need to put in a little bit of silage bales obviously are a fantastic uh, use at that stage from the point of view that you're not feeding a lot of it and you're not having to go to the bother of opening a pit and exposing a pit to to air which is obviously going to start causing deterioration so those high quality bales are part of that strategy and some of you may actually have some ground that may be suitable for it to be cut out for that now uh, as soon as the weather picks up and so you could be baling and doing pit silage at the same time uh, and I, I suppose the temptation is often there to throw it all in together but do bear in mind that you're going to need some of that quality material later on and this cutting this for pit silage at maybe anything from 130 to 150 an acre potentially um, or maybe even higher some figures that I've heard uh, isn't going to be very uh, wise use of of your money so basically a couple of couple of bales uh, even though the bales are going to be dearer a couple of bales to the acre here is going to be a cheaper way of conserving this material compared to a bigger crop of this type of material so growth stage critically important in terms of the impact that it has in quality 
Uh, and you'll see now as well how, what other, the, the next slide is going to show you the, the impact of soil fertility on, on trying to achieve that balance between quality and quantity. So what we tend to see is that people walk crops of silage shouldn't be the case this year, I would think for some reason, uh, for, for, reason it, it, crops seem to be after filling out quite well, as I said, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but soil fertility may be an issue on some farms or on some paddocks. And as a result, where we, we often find that people will walk crops and be disappointed with the quantity in them. And as I said, the, while we want the quality, obviously, and quality will come with that earlier cut, we also need, we need to get that balance right in terms of quantity as well. So you can see that we can get that 72 DMD silage with a very good ton, uh, tonnage at five ton per hectare of dry matter now, which is your kind of nine, 10 ton uh, crop to the acres of settled silage. We can get that at the right stage. So before we get to heading date, down here at the lower, uh, at the end of May, early June. The mouse is going missing on me. Um, we can we can get that 72 DMD quality silage and get the quantity once we have good soil fertility. So the real key driver there is actually um, K because it's, um, it's, it's influencing the bulk of a crop. Uh, and if we're short on K, so if we haven't got silage or slurry to silage ground early on in the year, or we haven't given it some sort of K fertilizer at some point in time, uh, in particular, I suppose any element is going to that's limiting is going to be an issue, obviously. Um, but K in particular is a, a very significant influence in terms of driving bulk in crops. And if we don't have that K available, the tendency is to, uh, that the crop isn't going to be where it should be. So we're more on this line. And as a result, we have to wait then to get the quality or the quantity that we're looking for. And you can see that that's disastrous from the point of view of that we get a very, very significant drop off in quality in a very, very short space of time then. Whereas we'll say a week here isn't going to make a huge difference. A week here is making a very significant difference. So make sure that you feed the crop properly. If your soil fertility is minimal or is poor, um, you need to address that subsequently. Um, so if you have... If you haven't done first cut really well, uh, feed your second cut to the requirement for the second cut and then follow up with any uh, balancing nutrient that's required. So P's or K's that might be required uh, should be added later in the year to try to address any uh, deficits in terms of soil fertility. Trying to overload it in terms of the, the actual crop itself is going to be a problem from the point of view of it coming back in, probably more of an issue with first cut because of the rapid growth rather than second cut. But at the same time, we don't want to have any concerns about high levels of Ks in silage if we can help it. So we should be trying to apply our K good and early out in the season uh, for our first cuts and then getting it on as quickly after, after the first cut is taken to moderate levels, we say. So 2,000 gallons of slurry here will feed your second cut silage crop, generally speaking, assuming that your, um, that your uh, P's and K's are okay, generally speaking. So preservation is the next step in the, of the chain and it, the key to good preservation is air-free conditions. So we need to get silage into a pit as quickly as possible, get it covered. Uh, same is true of baling. So bale it as quickly as possible or as soon as it's ready to and um, seal those bales, obviously, and not to have any damage and to protect them from damage then. So basically you can see that the key to good preservation is air-free conditions, air-free conditions, and air-free conditions. So getting that pit sealed well, and I suppose there's an element of what you're using to cover the pit. Um, and uh, we'll say bales obviously are a little micro environment in their own right, uh, once they're handled properly and they're intact. 
So you generally get good preservation in bales unless they get bird damage or whatever. So try to avoid the bird damage, obviously. And then once they're in a stack as well, trying to make sure that they're not uh, susceptible to any damage at that stage either uh, from birds as well. So netting, maybe some people even putting green covers over bales now uh, in recent times can be tricky to obviously keep them on them with wind and so forth, but just ever doing everything that they can to ensure that there's no um, air getting into the silage. And that's very important with, with pits in particular, because obviously they, they sag or they sink a little bit uh, a couple of days after they've been filled. Uh, and it's important to pull the, the cover again, tighten up the cover on that to make sure that you can maintain that air uh, free environment. And I would say while the majority of, of um, pits are covered with tires, obviously, and things you, you will see more, there's more and more people using uh, bags of gravel and we'll say maybe pit covers and pit mats and so forth to try and ensure that there's a, a far greater airtight seal on pits than what the silage or the tires tend to do. Uh, so just everything that can be considered, I suppose, um, I've, I've actually seen one farm in County Kerry where they use the old fertilizer bags with, with sand in it to seal along the edges, which is a very valid point in terms of when we're talking about air-free seal, uh, when you think about tires, they, they are obviously leaving a gap at the at, between each tire, uh, so there is potential for air to get in underneath that cover at the point of contact with the slab. So everything that can be done in order to minimize air accessing the pit at any stage. And that's even true of feed out as well. We should be trying to minimize the air that goes back over the, under the cover when we are feeding out. Uh, is important to maintaining the quality of the silage and ensure, well, in, from the point of view of, of pitting silage in the next week or so, that preservation piece is going to be driven by that air-free environment. So quality of the covers, good strong plastic is very, very uh, worth Consider, well worthwhile considering um, some of the plastics are moderate to, to poor and I would say in terms of their strength and their their tear resistance maybe uh, and that tear resistance is probably a sign of the strength of the plastic in terms of its air permeability as well a lot of people using vacuum film in the last number of years as well so it sinks down gets sucked into the pit basically as a preservation occurs uh, which obviously creates that airtight seal as well and is an important piece in, in terms of driving preservation. And people generally tend to be very happy when they open pits following the use of the, the vacuum film or the vacuum seal or whatever you want to call it. So there's moving on again. So the, the use of additive or not, and it's come up just there as a question in terms of sugar content and so forth. So there's a lot of debate around this. Um, I suppose I might say I'm going to sit on the fence here. I, there, there is a role for additives in some cases, not always required. And uh, all of these images that I'm showing here today are actually from the Chagas Silage Manual. So if you just Google the Chagas Silage Manual, you'll be able to access all of the information that I've shown you here today. And this is a very, this particularly useful sl slide. So the risks that are, the risk factors that exist for poor insolability are very leafy silage. So maybe the, the that very high quality silage that you're trying to make um, might be an issue in terms of insolability. If you've got poor weather conditions, so a lack of sunshine, and if you have high levels of N. So that's the question that was asked in terms of uh, grass sugar levels and nitrates. So if we have good levels of nitrate of sugar in our grass, we actually can supersede or overcome the issue that might be uh, there with nitrate. So high quality silage could potentially be made without additives. Um, but we see if we follow through the, the process here, so we'll go to the left uh, of the screen as I'm looking at it here first. If we look at and we find that our sugars are less than 2%, 
and the weather conditions aren't suitable in terms of that we're going, not going to be able to get a wilt, then all of that will point that an additive is required uh, or will be a, a benefit to try to get our insolubility or to get our insolubility right. However, the, uh, the counter argument is there as well that if we have very good high levels of, of sugar, we are able to get a wilt which will increase the sugar levels uh, that bit more and obviously drier material as well, then the potential is there to make silage without an additive as well. Now, there are people that will not make silage without additive, and then there are people that never use additive. And look, it's really a case of what people find works for them themselves. Often people make the point that at feed out, they find that their pit is more stable when they have used additive. And look, uh, if it's the difference between being happy doing what you're doing and not happy doing what you're uh, not happy with it, then I'm I'm okay with whatever people want to do. But this is the this is the ultimate, I suppose, in terms of the deciding factor. And to be fair, I suppose you can argue that quite often we may not have the most ideal conditions uh, for making silage, and then additive has a role to play. There is an expense associated with it, but you have to balance it then with are there losses in out of a pit subsequently that you haven't had before when you have used the additive. But was it necessarily the additive, I suppose, that was had the role to play in either in it? So it is possible to make good quality silage without additive, but in certain circumstances, additive may be required in order to ensure good quality insolubility. So what types of additives have you got out there? There's molasses uh, and acid. Uh, they were very, very common many years ago. Molasses still obviously available. Um, a bit of a chore kind of maybe putting it on because obviously you need high levels of it. Um, and the application rate or the ability to apply it is, is tricky. So people might be squirting it onto, onto the pit in the pit. Um, probably not an option for really putting it on at, at the, during the process of cutting. Acid was a very, very common thing when I was a young person or young fella. Uh, often remember driving around the roads and seeing the backs of harvesters all rusted from um, the acid being used, obviously, and it's and spraying or splashing up on the back of the the harvester and damaging the, the metal. So obviously the cost of those machines now, there's people very a lot less inclined to use it. I, I, it's something you just don't see anymore really. Um, and the, the way it works is that it's accelerating that drop in pH and works in a situation where you've low sugars and poor weather. Then uh, we have the absorbents, we'll say, which are the likes of soil holes or beet pulp or something like that. Again, there's a lot of work associated with them from the point of view of layering them into a pit, etc. But they do work well in terms of soaking up effluent and obviously they are, have feeding value subsequently. So the most common um, additives that you're going to come across are the types of inoculant. And the role that they play is that they increase the lactic acid bacteria population. Now that lactic acid ba bacteria population is there anyway in grass, and that's what causes the fermentation in, in the first place. So your inoculant is just increasing the quantity of those lactic acid bacteria. And lactic acid bacteria are the positive bacteria that we want in terms of, of uh, inciting um, grass. So high DMD is what you're targeting there. Um, require good conditions and high available sugars so that they can kind of uh, feed off of them really. And you can see there on that last point on that table that the lactic acid bacteria population is generally not limiting in many situations. As I said, it's in the grass already. Uh, so you're just increasing the, I suppose, what you're doing by increasing that lactic acid bacteria is slightly similar to what the acid role is doing is that you're increasing the, the drop in pH or the speed of that drop in pH to get the preservation occurring quicker. Uh, so then just wilting, I suppose it's mentioned there and on the previous slide in terms of trying to wilt to above 28% and that helps in terms of effluent losses as well. So I suppose our big end type mowers, uh, maybe our triple mowers uh, that might be sparting at the same time if we're cutting six meters, so that's nearly 20 feet. 
of, of um, grass at a time and putting it all into one swart. Uh, obviously, as we cut, it, it's at 17% um, dry matter. And then what happens then if it's left for 24 hours or left for 48 hours? So this is work that was done in Grange a number of years ago. So you can see that we only get two percentage points increase uh, when it's in a six meter row. Stands to reason, big heap of grass up on top of one another. You might just get a little bit of surface drying occurring. Um, and then you can see that we're only gaining five percentage points. So leaving it in the pit in a big or leaving it in the swart in a, for two days in a big, big swart isn't doing you a huge amount of favors. So you can see that if we cut it in 10 foot swarts um, and after 24 hours, we're up to 23% and after 48 hours, we're up to 31%. So you can see here, the color coding is kind of tying these in together so that 48 hours in a six meter row is the same as um, 10 foot swarts uh, just wilted for 24 hours. And similarly, so if we take out our 10 foot swarts in 24 hours, we'll have it up to 30% dry matter where it's taking 48%, 48 hours to do so when it's just left in the 10 foot swart. Now, getting that balance right is important, I suppose. Um, there's a tendency for people to leave some silage down for very long periods of time. And we actually occur, incur quite significant field losses associated with that. So you, you're losing nutrient value to the field. And it's important from that point of view that we probably should be looking at uh, trying to knock silage and get it picked up within 24 to, to 36 hours, we'll say, of cutting. And if you're trying to get that wilt that you're tearing in order to achieve that rather than leaving it in the swart. Now, this, this work doesn't take account of some of the, there are some new mowers out there that are actually cutting uh, in 10 foot swarts, very, very flat, laying out the crop quite well, um, that it's almost eliminating the need for tearing in some cases. So look, maybe if that's an option for you, that might be able to achieve the level of drying that you're looking for. Raking it in then obviously into your 10 or 30 foot swart for picking up is fine. <clears throat> and it does a little bit of puffing up of the sward as well. So it works as well. So wilting, important to try. Again, the whole thing, it's going to come back to the summary here. Cut as close in terms, I'll pick up on the wilting in a second. Uh, cut as close to the right stage as possible. So that's just before we get that head appearing to make sure that we get the quality of silage that we're trying to achieve and aim for the quality. Uh, aim for as high, uh, as good a quality as you can. So we'll say for, for the type of, for main crop silage we're talking about, uh, trying to aim for 74, 75 DMD. And then if we fall short because of weather, as I said, we end up with 70, 72, as opposed to aiming, if we're if our bar is set too low and we miss that bar, then we end up with very poor quality silage. Completing the job quickly is important. So when it, coming back to the wilting piece, if we want to get the wilt, try and get it tethered as quickly as possible after it's been cut out. Or as I said, if it's cut into the very flat rows, it may do be sufficient. Then rake it up uh, and get it covered or, or pitted or baled as quickly as possible. These long, long wilting phases or leaving it down for a long period of time doesn't tend to have the benefit that people may think uh, in terms of the quali quality of the silage. We'll say in terms of dryness, it, do it can help uh, depending on how it's cut as you saw on the last table. But don't be leaving it around there because you're incurring losses by leaving it on the ground for quite a long period of time. So complete the job quickly and cover then obviously our get your get it bailed as quickly as possible as well. And that airtight seal is important. And that's really important for pits more so than bales because obviously bales, as I said, they're those little micro environments of their own. Uh, and, and as long as they're not damaged, that airtight seal is there. Um, so that airtight seal is very, very important. And I suppose put the effort 
uh, a contractor, no, uh, ironically, I suppose he was a, a pit silage contractor, made the comment to me a couple of years ago that if people put the same effort into making pit silage that they did into making bales, they'd have equally good quality silage in their pits as well as they would have in their bales. And uh, to be fair, it's, the point is well is, is probably valid enough. People, uh, as I said, tating silage, etc., for for bales, and maybe not doing that kind of level of preparation for pit silage, or are not maybe more, a bit more kind of crash and bang basically with the with the pit silage that it's knocked, it's picked up, and it, it's pitted, and that's it. Like the, that, the effort that goes into it wouldn't be as, as significant. So that airtight seal is important for the preservation, and obviously important then for the um, keeping the the quality of the silage high throughout the. The storage period and then as well at the feed out side as, as well as i said additives may or may not have a role you can make silage without additive but you may need to use uh, additive in certain circumstances as well so you need to make maybe test your your grass to see what the situation is with that and i suppose the most important thing is that always uh with the well within reason i suppose quality will always trump quantity so we have had people in the past who have been short to silage that have been able to fill the gap with something else uh, by having quality silage as opposed to having quantity. Quantity of silage, just keep it in mind that the more silage that we have, and the, the more poor quality silage that's put in front of an animal, the less that they're going to eat. The, and everyone will see it that in terms of quality silage, a stock will eat an awful lot more of quality silage than they are going to eat a poor quality silage. And that's driven by basically, I suppose it's like ourselves sitting down to eat the dessert uh, if it's nice, you'll go back for seconds. Whereas if um, if it's poor quality, you're not going to eat anymore. So quality is what we should be aiming for. As I said, aim, aim for that bar. Uh, keep push the bar a little bit higher, maybe than you might have had in the past. And if you fall short of it, you'll still end up with good quality silage. And it's just going to be very important coming into next next winter with the way costs are in terms of uh, concentrate feeds, etc. We want to try and minimize the amount of feeding that might have to be done for young stock, it would be the main ones there. Or if you have beef cattle or whatever, the better quality silage that you can produce, provide to them, the less concentrate input that you'll have to put into them. So that's it for today. I hope you got value out of that. Thanks to the people that asked questions there. I hope I addressed them in, in the course of the presentation, which is why I didn't pick up on them as they came in. Um, we'll be back next week. I'm going to be joined by John Tobin from Munster Bovine next week. Uh, again, we just want to put a push on people in terms of uh, we're just into, into the fourth week of breeding for the most, uh, most part on a lot of farms. And we talked about it last week. But again, just to try and get that last push on for the, the first six weeks of, of breeding and maybe the steps after that as well. So thanks for joining in today. I hope you got something from it. I wish you well for the week and talk to you next week. Thank you. That's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series. And don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and thanks for listening.